Hello, and welcome to the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast. I'm Stuart Baird. And I'm John Hassel. You're joining us for the first part in a two-part series of special podcasts celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Kingston Bridge, one of Glasgow's most iconic structures and a crucial part of the M8 motorway. Yeah, we've been really looking forward to talking about this. We've been saving up all our information for these special podcasts. We have, and it's obviously turning 50 is a big thing. Yeah. And uh, uh, Kingston Bridge is something that you and I both appreciate. We, we both love the bridge very much, I think. To me, you know, what it means, it is when we talk about the inner ring road. Yeah. It is an integral part of it. It's so busy. It is. that section it there. It is. It's the, it's the beating heart of the M8. Yes. It, it really is. is, you could say. And before the M74, completion project came along yeah. it took the vast majority of traffic that was heading between it's the east and the west and the south busy. and yeah. all directions basically okay so i'm going to be doing a lot of talking over the next two podcasts okay. um, and i'm going to give the listeners a rundown of what each part is going to cover so in this part part one we're going to discuss the planning and design of the bridge we'll then talk a bit about the construction phase and we'll talk about the opening and the kind of general feeling around the bridge um, at the time when it opened, how it was regarded, what it did, and the like. When we come back for part two, we'll then be talking about the initial years when the bridge was operational, how it performed. And then we're going to talk about the major refurbishment programme that, that kicked off from the early 1990s and ran through until the, the kind of mid to late 2000s. I'm sure many listeners will remember all those works. It's very much in so, recent memory, yeah. Yes, so there's a lot to talk about there. And we'll then talk about how the bridge operates and functions today, and maybe a wee bit about the future as well. Yeah. So that's the sort of a, the main setup for each of these two parts. Now, it won't okay. just be Stuart talking. I no. will be piping up occasionally with my own questions. Yeah, you're acting as quizmaster. Cross-examining it. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're going to question me as we go. I've been doing a lot of research into the history of the bridge for some of the events that we have planned, and we will talk about them at the, towards the end of the podcast as well. Uh, but John is going to quiz me as we go, yeah. and I have some questions lined up for John as well, Good. just to I'll test his own knowledge and make sure he's been listening. <laughs> yeah. So I think at that point, John, let's get straight into our first part. And we're going to talk about how the bridge came about initially, the planning phase. Yeah. Okay. Just a, a question to start off. Do you know when a, a new crossing of the Clyde was first proposed in Glasgow? I think that goes way back to the Bruce report, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah. So basically, 1945. Uh, the first planning report, which was prepared by Robert Bruce, who was city engineer at that time, uh, was the first report to propose an inner ring road for mm -hmm. the city. It also proposed a number of other arterial routes and principal roads, and the Clyde Tunnel grew yeah. from his proposals as well. But the inner ring road was a main part of that. And although the vast majority of his proposal was going to see the upgrade of existing roads in the city, between the south bank of the river and North Street, he proposed an entirely new section of road and a new bridge mm -hmm. crossing the Clyde. And the main reason for that at that time was really that the existing city centre crossings um, were all very uh, very busy. They were congested even in the even in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. um, I think I read a figure recently that said that up to the year, uh, up for the 10 years up to 1939, uh, the number of vehicles on the road had doubled. Mm -hmm. And even despite the, the ongoing war, the Second World War, traffic growth continued mm -hmm. in the UK. So by the time his report came out in 1945, they were looking ahead and they were already saying, OK, yeah, the motor car is coming. We need to prepare for this. Yeah. OK. So Bruce put his plans in place. They were formally adopted by Glasgow Corporation uh, around 1948. Um, many people will know the Bruce report because of its controversial proposals to demolish 
the city centre yeah. and rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, and I have said on many occasions, that the roads proposals that Bruce came up with were probably the most sensible yeah. components mm-hmm. of the entire study. Yeah, uh, they were definitely. very sensible. Um, so the corporation were quite happy. Yep, okay, yep, we need these new roads, we agree, let's get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a number of reasons why progress didn't proceed perhaps as quickly as they would have wanted. Money, I'm thinking, is one of them. Exactly. So post-war austerity yeah. meant that they couldn't proceed with the whole lot in one go. Mm. But they decided that they would push forward with the Clyde Tunnel. Now, there was reasons for that. Downstream of the city centre, there were no permanent crossings. You had to use ferries. So, you know, getting new crossings further downstream was felt uh, an important way of getting traffic moving in the West End and beyond. Yeah, so, so that they, was kind of prioritised, yes. wasn't it, the Clyde Tunnel? So they prioritised the Clyde Tunnel. Came in a lot earlier. Yeah. There were other reasons why the inner ring road was, uh, development was a bit slower as well, in that they couldn't really agree on how they were going to take forward the sort of a mass redevelopment of certain areas of the of the city centre. Uh, now, eventually, proposals for comprehensive development areas... Mm-hmm. Um, which we spoke about last yep, time. which we did. They were obviously developed through the 50s, as I think mm-hmm. I mentioned in that in that podcast. And um, that then enabled them to start looking at roads plans in more detail because the inner ring road corridor was going to have to fit in within these comprehensive development areas because it's easy to fit in a nice new road in nice, clear, empty spaces. All right. So through the 50s, uh, progress was fairly slow. In 1959, when the revised structure plan was being published, that's when progress really started to move forward. And by early 1960, when that report was approved, the corporation moved quickly to appoint Scott Wilson Kirkpatrick and partners to devise a definitive route or corridor for the ring road. Yeah. Okay. And at that time, they started to work on where you parts know, of that were going to where go. the crossings were going to be exactly. and everything. Roughly following what what Robert Bruce had put in his report. Exactly, because yeah. that was the approved plan. Mm. Uh, now, the reason that the the corporation were keen to get progress made by now was that their comprehensive development areas, and there were twenty nine of them that were proposed. In, in total, they had been approved by the Scottish office when their structure plan had been approved. And they knew that to come up with definitive design for the new housing and new facilities within them, they needed really to know where is this road going to go. Um, by this stage, I should add that the corporation had already determined that they wanted an urban motorway. Um, they wanted a, a route that was uh, for limited vehicle types, mm. uh, you know, and didn't have any frontage access or anything like that. And they had said they wanted vehicle speeds to be like 50 miles an hour. Yeah. So that was already decided, but they did leave it open to Scott Wilson to go away in their study and make a determination on whether that was suitable or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Scott Wilson are doing their traffic studies, as we've spoken about many, many times. And eventually in 1962, uh, they come forward with their proposals for the, the inner ring road in their interim report uh, through 1961-62. And they proposed that there should be a bridge crossing the river somewhere around about Anderson Cross, crossing over to Tradeston, Carnoustie Street, basically, mm-hmm. crossing over there uh, in, that, in that corridor. Now, at that time, uh, Scott Wilson said that it should be an eight-lane bridge, so four lanes on each side, mm-hmm. uh, and that there should be junctions on either side, connecting with other proposals that they were coming up with, like continuation of the M8 towards the Renfrew Motorway and through the, the city centre, through the Charing Cross section, and also with the Clydeside Expressway, and the south flank of the inner ring road as well. So the bridge was almost the centrepiece of this 
vast complex of approach roads and slip yeah. roads that you could go in multiple directions into multiple places. You know, they, they'd already envisaged, okay, this is going to be big. So, as we've discussed again before, um, the corporation then started to award the individual design packages for who was going to take forward the detailed design of each component of the inner ring road. Mm. And, again, as we've discussed many times, Scott Wilson were awarded the north flank of the ring road, so the section between Townhead and St George's Cross, and WE Fairhurst and Partners, who had already been appointed to look into the bridge mm -hmm. around about 1962, they had their uh, works uh, increased, uh, the scope of their works increased to include the Charing Cross section as well. So they had a flank yeah. each, basically. Yeah. So WA Fairhurst had already been considering uh, for a few months what type of bridge really should we be looking at? And the corporation were keen on having a bridge that was on two levels. They wanted a crossing at key level, which was going to be for local traffic, and they also wanted this higher level crossing, similar for, to for what the, we have today. For the motorway. Exactly. Mm -hmm. For the strategic traffic. And the corporation were very keen to see that happen. Two bridges. Yeah. Now, you and I have discussed this before. Mm -hmm. You remember the reasons why the key level bridge was scrapped in the end. Was it not because it was too... I mean, that there are other bridges right nearby at the time that, that it wasn't really justified to have something like that because of the amount of capacity that was added above? Partly. But the main factor in leading to the single high-level crossing was the Clyde Port Authority because they insisted that shipping be able to continue upstream right into the city centre and in particular to Kingston Dock. Mm -hmm. Now, they also wanted to continue their dredging um, right. operations for, to so allow for that as well. This kind of ruled out having some kind of low-level crossing, right. which is yeah. kind of why the Kingston Bridge is so high. Yeah. Now, the corporation fought hard to retain the two-level bridge, yeah. um, but the Clyde Port Authority was quite a powerful organisation at that time, and they won out, and ultimately, uh, WA Fairhurst and Partners were, were ordered to proceed only with a, a consideration of a high-level crossing that would maintain the shipping corridor. Below. Well, I, I've got a point I'd like to raise, and it's something I've never asked mm -hmm. you about this, and probably not of this subject. Was some kind of other crossing considered at the start? I mean, you're talking about a high-level bridge to yeah. have the shipping under it. Mm -hmm. Was a tunnel ever considered no. at the site of where the Kingston Bridge is? No, never. The topography of the city centre would make that not impossible to achieve, but very difficult to achieve. Mm -hmm. When you think of the, the steep rising ground between Garnet Hill and Charing Cross and Charing Cross and Park Circus, yeah. if your inner ring road is coming through there and you're then coming through Anderston, the gradients that would have been required to get the, the road down and, and then under the level of the and then back up again to reach where the M8 was going to go via the Renfrew motorway, yeah, it would have been, it would have been possible, but it would have been very, very expensive. Mm. And... Uh, a bridge would simply have been considerably cheaper. Um, That's right. I know. mean, you consider the you, you know the amount of lanes and the width that's yeah. very difficult to construct oh, yeah. a tunnel. Of that width. It would have been it would have been very expensive to, to do that there. Yeah. So no, that that was never formally considered. Certainly never considered as an option. It may have been considered and ruled out early on, for the reasons we've just discussed. But it was never considered on paper as a feasible option. It was only ever between the the combined two level bridge or the single mm. high level bridge. So no tunnel. No tunnel. Definitely never a tunnel. Only okay. ever downstream at, um, at White Inch. I thought it was a good thing to ask. Absolutely. Because people <laughs> will ask that question. People will think. You, you, know, get, that, think you get that being asked about other bridges. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a sensible question because, you know, if you're bridging over something, you mm -hmm. can always ask the question, well, did they consider tunnel tunneling? Well, there are different mm -hmm. different advantages, disadvantages yeah. to tunneling. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So, 
W. Fairhurst proceeded pretty quickly with their design, it has to be said, and by the mid-1960s, they had come up with a proposal uh, for their single high-level crossing of the river. And mm. I'm just going to read to you here what was actually proposed. Okay. okay. So it says, designs for a soaring 268.5 long bridge carrying 10 lanes of 50 mile an hour motorway 18 and a half metres above the river were revealed to the public. Okay. It would allow traffic growth up till the year 1990 as required by both Scott Wilson's studies into the ring road but also through W.A. Fairhurst's uh, studies and you know design for the bridge mm. to make it wide enough for that. And at the design phase, at this stage, they actually suggested that rather than go with the eight-lane crossing that Scott Wilson had suggested, that it be widened to ten lanes. Mm-hmm. Because so take was, away whatever the hard shoulder was. Yeah, it was felt just... that with the weaving between slip roads and, and off-ramps and on-ramps and the main carriageway itself, that an extra lane on each side would just enable a bit more free flow, particularly as the, the traffic figures crept up towards yeah. that 120,000 figure. Uh, and I think it's maybe just as well that that, that happened, mm-hmm. because losing a lane on each side of the bridge uh, would would you know it would have well, an, yeah would oh, have it an would definitely have an effect especially yeah. going um westbound yeah exactly yeah. um something that people might not realize right that we'll point out is that actually it isn't a single bridge it's two parallel bridges <laughs> tied together in mm. three or four locations now, just made to look like a single bridge yeah i was going to say this is this is noticeable when you're under it yeah but it looks different under it to what it was when it opened to what it is now. And that'll be covered, of course, later. That'll be covered later. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's you get the too... best impression of that when you're standing at the key, key side. Yeah. And you're looking up and you see, oh, there's a gap. Now, that gap used to be quite open, as you said, and it's closed in to an extent now, so you mm. don't get the same appreciation. But there, there will be some images and things coming up that, that will that enable you that. to see that. So really, we should be calling this the Kingston Bridges. <laughs> yes, <Bridges. laughs> yeah, you could. It says here that the designers noted... Um, that their proposal was actually for two parallel, independent, 20.8-metre-wide superstructures that would each carry one carriageway. In effect, the bridge is formed from two sets of three hollow, pre-stressed, in-situ concrete boxes sitting side by side, which are then held together by substantial concrete diaphragms. The boxes rest on the two reinforced concrete piers that you see on either side of the river. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the bridge is hollow. That's right. So those piers are those rocket-shaped looking uh, yeah. concrete structures that you see on either side of the river. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the two piers. And, and there was work done in them, which we'll cover in part two. Okay. Okay. So a fairly interesting design concept. Now, you might be interested to know why they came up with, with that design. Um, and it's all about obviously maintaining access to the river. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, that, that yeah. height. And yeah. as we move on to the construction... Uh, phase i'll tell you about the method that was utilized to enable them to build the crossing uh, in a a very innovative way while still maintaining traffic flows and the like but uh, needless to say the parliamentary orders uh, for the land acquisition and construction um, were approved in june 1966 there was a very small pocket of land that lay just outside the anderson cross comprehensive development area so that was acquired using the traditional compulsory purchase um, yeah. orders and things um, tenders for the construction were invited in the autumn of 1966 mm-hmm. now to give people a bit of background about the Anderson Comprehensive Development Area it was probably the largest of all of the 29 that were proposed and uh, 
It was one of the earliest to this be approved This is one that had Argyle well. Street running right through it, wasn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So the Anderson Complex, which remains there today, is a shadow of what it used to be, was once envisaged as being this huge complex of housing, leisure, hotels, shopping, shopping hmm. education, you know, all, everything that you can imagine in one location. Now, the comprehensive development area, and I'm going to make this point because people do ask us, Anderson Cross, in some of the old photos... It's attractive. The old station building that existed at Anderson, for example, was very nice. Argyle Street going through Anderson Cross, you look at the nice old black and white photos, you see these picturesque scenes and you think, wow, that's all Wonderful. gone now. Yeah. I will make the point that that was not all torn down for the motorway. Mm -hmm. It was torn down for the Anderson Comprehensive Development Area, which was approved several years before the definitive design for the ring road mm -hmm. was in place. So had the ring road, ring road not gone ahead, all of that area was going to be cleared anyway for yeah. new housing. Um, it, it was a certainty. So people tend to, you know, it's a, it's a common misconception that the they, demolition they, they, took they place. They ripped for it the, all out for yeah, the road, but which, it was because it was all getting developed anyway. Yeah. Now, some people might say, oh, well, that's just an excuse. You're just trying, you know, you're just trying to defend the road. Well, it's, it's the truth. You know, that, yeah. that's the case. Um, and, and, and people should be a bit kinder to the, to the history of the, of the, the Ring Road yeah. um, for that reason. Mm -hmm. You know, because only, the only section that was. Uh, where there was demolition entirely for the road, was at Charing Cross, yeah. as we've discussed on a few occasions. All right. So, yeah, that's important. That's an important point to make. No, it you absolutely know. is. I mean, we dedicate the whole podcast to it, Stuart, yeah. to make sure that that was clarified. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? It's something that... I used to assume that the, that the subject of comprehensive development was, was well known about in mm -hmm. Glasgow. Mm -hmm. But it was only when I started doing a bit of research myself that I realised, actually, this is a bit of a, a mystery to people. What what are these CDAs? And that was why we did that dedicated podcast. Yeah. And there's it a wasn't roads-led, no, was it? No, it really you know? wasn't. It was planning-led. It was housing-led. You know, It was so all about population density and housing conditions. Even if they never built the M8, these areas, a lot of a, them, they would have all still gone. It's a certainty, because they yeah. were getting a lot of money from the Scottish Development Department at that time to go ahead with these things. Mm -hmm. um, Post-war redevelopment yeah. and slum clearances. And, and yeah. a lot of people say, oh, well, it was short-sighted. Um, they should have been refurbishing the buildings that they had. And yet, in hindsight, that's actually not a bad point to make. You're right, because mm -hmm. when you see some of the refurbished tenements that are out there, terrific, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but there was no money for that. The, the Scottish no. Development Department weren't offering money for that. Yeah, you, you always say, put yourself back in the thinking of the oh, time. Yeah. You yeah. know, it was all these things are kind of swept aside. You know, all yeah. the problems with these buildings. Yeah. and things like that and it was more economical you you might remember I can't remember if you were there one of the times we interviewed someone who had lived in the area prior to the bridge and they made this point and I, I, this always stuck with me hmm. what those beautiful old black and white photos don't show you were the rats the size of cats that were running about the back courts <laughs> eating the rubbish out the bins and biting kids they also yeah. don't show you the bugs that were living in the walls of the tenements that kept people up at night because they were scratching at the walls yeah. Or the, the the poor sewage, um, or the you know the, the, well, that, the terrible conditions. That's right. There's so many things that you don't see. Yeah. You know, if you're looking at, at sorting these buildings out, you yeah. know, there's a kind of an economical line of can we actually refurbish these or do we pull them down? And yeah. start again? So so bear that in mind. The next time you're looking at this beautiful looking old grainy image of Anderson Cross, you know, think of the people who who were living in mm. fairly squalid conditions in some cases. Although Anderson, I believe, wasn't quite as bad as other areas. Yeah, but I am told by people who were there at the time that it wasn't perfect either, um, yeah. and that people were, on the whole, quite happy the to thing get is nice to look at it. Change place. would have come to it no matter what. Yeah, as as it does. Yeah. So it's, it's something to be in mind. Something to be in mind. Okay. Anyway, so what's the rest of the story then, Stuart? So at that stage, we moved to construction. 
Okay. And the uh, Kingston Bridge and the approaches, that's that was the official name of the contract. That was the second inner in, inner ring road contract to go ahead. Townhead started in the December of nineteen sixty five. So Kingston Bridge we, we, it's part it is part of the inner ring road, right? Oh very much so. Yeah. But it's its own contract, Kingston Bridge. Yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Putting my hand up here. Okay. <laughs> was Kingston Bridge ever known as anything else? Yes, yes, actually it was. Um, it was initially known, if you look at the Bruce report, it talks about the, now... Let me just mean like it yeah. has another name. It talks about know? the Shearer Street, Ferry Street crossing in the Bruce report. Right. But, um, it catchy. Was, yeah, catchy. Um, <laughs> but throughout the 50s and in the initial years of the 60s, it was known as the Carnoustie Street Bridge. The Carnoustie Street Bridge. Right, Carnoustie okay. Street Bridge. Kingston Bridge only started to be used just before the construction period began in 1967. Uh, right. Prior to that, it was Carnoustie Street Bridge. You know, the Kingston name... Because Carnoustie Kingston Street Bridge... Was, Kingston, to me, is a district kind of area. Well, that's it. And the it, dock you know? was immediately adjacent to the where the bridge was going to go the as Kingston well. The dock. Yeah, yeah, it made sense. So um, it was known as the Carnoustie Street Bridge. Yeah, yeah, it was up until um, the mid-60s, and then they, they switched it to Kingston Bridge. Um, Very good. Yeah. That's a great little fact. Yeah, though. it's a good yeah. wee fact to throw in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, construction began on the 15th of May, mm-hmm. 1967, when work began at a small ceremony attended by the Lord Provost on the North Approach Viaduct. So they started operating a piling rig. Now, demolition work... Do the ceremonial switch on of the piling Absolutely. rig. Absolutely. Yep, the, the, the yeah. Provost pulls a lever um, at the, <laughs> and the first the, the pile stand drops. And, yep, exactly. And that was, that was how they marked the occasion. Uh, the contractor... In this case, was a joint venture. It was a large project, so mm. it was. I think it was felt that maybe no one contractor could handle it on on their own. So it was a joint venture of Duncan Logan Limited, a Scottish civil engineering company, and also Marples Ridgeway Limited, uh, who were an English-based civil engineering company who had been involved in many projects down south. And anybody who's ever researched the road construction history will know there was there's a bit of a story behind Marples Ridgeway. Yeah, he um, was uh, he was a Conservative Party uh, transport, transport minister. minister. It was felt that he Marples. had uh, conflict of interest. There was a lot of conflict of interest here. Yeah. Although by the time Marple's Ridgeway were formed, I believe he was long gone. Uh, he yeah. had moved on from that point, but the company had kept his name initially, certainly. Mm. Uh, and at this point, uh, I should point out as well. Actually, I learned recently, and I hadn't known this until I started doing my own research, that Duncan Logan Limited actually went bust weeks before the bridge opened to traffic oh, really? and weren't actually present the, at the, the, opening the opening ceremony. ceremony. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like you'd get all, get all the, you know, you'd put all the work in for something like that, but that often happens. There have been many schemes that have killed contractors yeah. mid-job. Exactly. It, was, it is a strange, yeah. yeah. And as I say, up until that point, they were quite well known. They mm-hmm. had, you know, they'd built a lot of roads in Scotland. Um, all right, so construction-wise, the, uh, the corporation... And the Clyde Port Authority, as we mentioned earlier, dictated that the river must remain open to shipping and that the surface streets must remain open open to traffic. Because Broomielaw and Paisley Road at that time, very busy streets, as you can imagine, yeah. main way into the city from the west and the southwest and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So they had to remain open. So that made the, the designer and the contractor come up with this innovative way of constructing the bridge. And what they called that, or what they referred to that as, was the free cantilever method. Well, of course. All right. So to to simplify that for people as much as possible, basically what that means is they started building each support, main support, on either side of the river. They then propped it at one end and they started to cantilever out 
in three metre sections across the river, slowly, 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 until they met in the middle. Okay. And that did not require any props in the river or on the uh, surface streets. Right, okay. Can you explain like to some people who might not be of this mindset exactly what cantilever is? So a cantilever is basically something that hangs out Supported from one side only. Supported from one side only. So in the case of the bridge, it was cantilevering from the main support on either bank out across the river, but only held at one end. Right, okay. So imagine it's like two people on either side of something reaching their hands out towards each other and touching the fingertips. Yeah. That's how they built the Kingston Bridge. Yeah. And and so it is a cantilever bridge, really? No, because once it was joined in the middle... It took it away. It took it away. You know, there's not a half joint there or something That's like right. that. That's yeah. right. So it's a, sing- it's a single structure. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing was held together by all these tendons and, and pre-stressing, as we as we mentioned as well. So as they went, they were stressing up, so ten- on tension. It was built as a cantilever, but then it was when it was melded together, so to speak. It, it's That's not right. that kind yeah. of structure at all. Basically, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two sections met in the middle uh, in late 1969. Mm-hmm. Now, there might be people listening who, who remember that. Yeah. You know, that's... Um, when you think I remember, it. Stuart, we uh, we watched a video on this, I think a couple of months ago when we were preparing for one of the podcasts or something unrelated, and you see the guy, as, as the bridges, the two of them come together, yep. the guy's hopping between the boards from That's one right. side to the other. So the first people to cross the Clyde there yep. were some of the workforce. Absolutely. Probably at yeah. some point, you know. But it's uh, it was it was crazy to see. And yeah, and, and something else people might not realise is that the, the bridge is, is rather attractive. Um, like other parts of the inner ring road, uh, Holford and Associates were appointed as consulting architect. So there was right. a lot of money spent on making the bridge aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. All those nice precast panels that you see on the sides. Which and, are the same as what you see on the retaining. Yeah. I was just about to say that. It's very yeah. much in keeping with the rest of with it. With the rest of the system. If you were to take those panels off, it's just dull, grey, drab concrete boxes yeah. behind it. It wouldn't be very nice. you know. So that nice arch effect, well, that nice stonework, mm. It's all artificial. It's not structural in any way. It's an yeah, aesthetic thing. But you take know, that away and it's pretty ugly. It'd be pretty ugly. It's like pretty most, of, most of us naked. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's a way to look <laughs> at it, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. And, and as you're well aware, because you've had a visit to the bridge uh, mm. a few years ago when, when we went in, the bridge is hollow. Yeah, I thought that was particularly impressive. Yeah. You get these, these sections and as you move up, it gets through narrower. the arch, narrower, narrower, narrower. narrower uh-huh. Which, if you if you're claustrophobic, is, mm-hmm. is is hell. Yep. Um, but I'm not fortunately. But it was fantastic to go, and then it widens out again as mm-hmm. it goes through. So yeah, the yeah. bridge is hollow. It's it's a pretty fascinating structure. Mm-hmm. It is, which it we'll is. talk about in a bit I mean, more detail when we talk about. Is there anything, Stuart? I mean, it, it sounds it's quite unique in ways. Uh, is there anything similar to Kingston well, anywhere else? Is there another bridge that's similar to it anywhere you, you know of? Oh, yeah. There, there's a few of them across the UK. Uh, there's a couple that stand out for me that, that I quite like. Uh, the first of them is probably the Queen's Bridge. Uh, that's the one in Perth City Centre. Uh, it was built around 1960 uh, and was a fairhouse design as well, uh, same as Kingston. It's quite nice. Uh, have a look for it the next time you're up there. It crosses the Tay. The other one is similar but not identical to Kingston. That's on the M2 in Kent, and it's uh, the bridge across the Medway, the original motorway bridge there. It sits in the middle between the high-speed one rail bridge and the widened uh, additional motorway bridge that they built a few years ago. So, yeah, it's common. They are common, and they're all quite nice to look at. Concrete box cover construction is actually... It's, it's not unusual. It's not utilised too much anymore. Um, it's often steel box cover. Some of the bridges yeah. at Charing Cross actually a concrete box together very small versions but it's the mm. same principle what makes kingston different i think is the manner in which it was constructed 
across the river and that it's made to look like a historic arch. Yeah, you it know? is, because yeah. when I think of it, it's a modern yeah. masonry arch. It's probably quite unique for a motorway crossing. Yeah, in the UK, it, yeah. it is. I would say UK-wise, it's fairly unique in that, in that sense. Yeah, mm. And in Scotland, it's a bridge of that size. Yeah, it's it's unique. Others mm. are steel box girders, mostly for the bigger crossings, although wood side is, is beams, concrete okay. beams. Uh, it's all just to do with where you are and, and, and how you need to cross your obstacles and things, and, and that's why they... They would have considered um, that. Well, I, I've got another question before you move on mm-hmm. uh, with these things. I hope it's the right part of the podcast to to ask this. But yeah. say there was no Kingston Bridge built then, and yeah. we suddenly now have to build the Kingston Bridge right now. Mm-hmm. How different do you think the bridge would be? What kind of design would they pick? Well, let's what be honest. Look like it wouldn't be crossing the river twenty meters above it. Okay. Or eating. So we're saying it's thing. still in the same place in my hypothetical situation. Yeah, yeah but I would imagine we, it would be. So it would be a lower crossing. It would be at key level, mm-hmm. and uh, rather than having all those approaches and ramps and and things, you wouldn't need any of that. You would probably have it sitting on either a low level bridge, mm-hmm. um, maybe something a bit even a bit lower than Woodside. You might even have it at ground level. Um, yeah. You know, possibly like, uh, like thinking of Town Head. You know, it's very to close think, to like yeah. Alexandra Parade and places like that. It could even be like that. Uh, it certainly wouldn't be as high as it is. Mm. I think that's the, that's the clear thing. And Although, would it be a, a, simp- a simple steel box girder structure like most potentially yeah. normal motorway yeah. structures are, or a simple cable stayed bridge or something like that. You know, um, it's there's, there's so many options that would be available mm. um, nowadays for for the, you know for crossing. Mm-hmm. A, you know a river like that um but a low level but then you would still need to consider the fact that there's multiple surface streets in there that need to be crossed like brumelaw paisley road st vincent street or the so would still street. need so to have there would have still be an element of yeah. possibly something maybe cable stayed then possibly you know you there's know, so many options line. so many options mm-hmm. um you know it's possible now that if they were building the bridge today or something maybe like white cart yeah, maybe, which is kind of dull, but yeah, could be. Mm. If they were building a bridge at height today across a river like that, I think cable stayed would probably be the way they would go. But that would be like a single single tower cable stayed crossing. Yeah. You know, there's one they've just built down in Newcastle-ish, mm. near Sunderland. Um, there's one down there that I picture in my mind would, would kind of be like that. Yeah. Um, but again, it's kind of difficult to say, but there's so many options now. But they wouldn't, would they, they wouldn't make it no, like that now. No, no, because that's, it, that's it's, my point. It's from a maintenance point of view, it's uh, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. And one of the things, <laughs> one of the things I've not mentioned yet so far, there. the Kingston Bridge itself only goes from directly above Broomielaw mm. across to the other side of the car park at Springfield Quay. That is the Kingston Bridge. Anything else, either north or south of that, is the approach roads, and right. that's that section with the elliptical piers. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask this because you know, whenever I see bridge piers, mm-hmm. you know, they, yeah. you know, they can be rectangular. Uh, or most of the time, they're cylindrical. Yeah, yeah. But the Kingston Bridge approach piers mm-hmm. are elliptical. Yeah. What? Why? According to the the design manuals that we have for the bridge, um, it says that it was done for wind loading purposes, but also for aesthetic reasons to try and keep yeah, the fa- impact of them down. Do you remember we went to Tay Bridge and Fair yeah. and Fairhurst, of course, done Tay Road Bridge yep. as well, and there mm-hmm. was that similar elliptical right. uh, support piers yeah. that we've seen there. Did you know yeah. that 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 shape actually has a nickname? What's it called? Willie Fairhurst's trousers. Named after. Where did you get that? Named Wonderful after the snippet There's a few people who've been involved in Kingston Bridge over the years have shared that. Uh, and Willie Fairhurst Trousers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because of, because of the shape. Great. I didn't know that. Yeah. Sir William Fairhurst 
obviously being the owner of Fairhurst and Partners at that time, he was a renowned uh, civil engineer, but also a, a world-class chess player. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. He competed, to my own heart. I he competed internationally chess. at chess as well, a, a character. But yeah. as you said, the Tay Bridge, did Crooken Viaduct, mm-hmm. Kingston, the West Flank of the Inner Ring Road, second stage of the through Motorway, and a, a whole number of other projects in Scotland, and, and still in existence as an independent consultant mm-hmm. today, as Fairhurst. So, yeah, still still on the go. But yeah, let's go back to those approach roads. Because did you know that there's over 100 of those on either side? On each well, side, you, you mean should say. 100, uh, 100 individual. Well, they are. Support columns, yeah. Oh, you mean, oh, the, the columns yeah. themselves. Oh, mm. right. Yeah, there's, there's, well, I was going to say there's hundreds of them, but there mm. are. <laughs> so that's true. Mm. Um, and they came up with this innovative way of casting those. Now, they're almost like, when you think about it, it's like two two boat shapes they are. to get stuck that, together. Yeah, that's what I think of them out there, that elliptical thing, yeah. so it's like the bow of each. So what they did, to save money for the contractor, they made shutters, timber shutters as they do, mm-hmm. and they started with the very longest, and they poured the tallest piers first, okay, or columns first, and then they gradually reduced the size or the length of the shutters, so they weren't bringing in brand new shutters, they were just chopping bits off, and cast them down the way they got to the lowest uh, supports so they were reusing shutters constantly so that's an early an early uh, form of sustainability and environmental yes, consideration there. you know there's something I, I just want to point out to people this is cool because it kind of um, it, it, I wondered this when I first started working in this industry if you look up at concrete structures uh, talking about shuttering you'll actually notice on the concrete there is a pattern of wood yeah on the concrete yeah yeah mm-hmm. I call it woodcrete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's you do, and that's because they use timber shuttering and they're yep. pouring the concrete against it, and that's why you'll you'll see basically well, there's a texture of wood. In some cases, they deliberately leave that in place. In other mm. places, they skim over it to get a nice flat surface. It was just just come down yeah. to the individual tastes of the of the contract uh, or the, the designer at the time, whoever was, was in, cool. whoever was in charge. Mm. Um, so there you go. Did you know? Did mm. you know? Did I know that one of the earliest parts of the entire complex that were constructed was the high mass lighting so the high mass lighting columns that you see on either side of the bridge round about Anderston and round about Shields Road and Tradeston in the south they were erected first so that it would provide illumination for the site that's genius it is you know it is because it to me you know thinking about you know the, the a precedence diagram of yeah. construction you think lighting that that's, that's a kind of an end of project thing yeah. that you start thinking about but that's a good idea and those same yeah. masts remained in position until only a couple of years ago when they were finally replaced why were they replaced well just because they oh like for like yeah, replacement, for like replacement. Oh, they'd reached meant, the end yeah. of their life yeah. um so it was time to renew them so they served 50 years as well so that that's Fantastic. that's something that a lot of people won't have realized you're a big fan of the high mass lighting. I I, um, I love my high mass lighting. It's good. It it, is. it does the job very very it very does. well. There's some out there that don't like it, but I I disagree with it. Yeah, I think it's stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, other innovations. Well, did you know another fact here? All right, we should have a. Ding I know we should have. I know I know. The okay. gantries, the overhead sign gantries on the Kingston Bridge, okay. were the first to be installed on the Glasgow network. Because although Townhead had opened in 1968, yes. the gantries there weren't installed until 1971 when the second stage of Woodside 
was constructed. Oh, that, because you, well, do you not? So, see, you don't see them in the film, do you? Because right. they, what they always used to do with these gantry, Stuart, was they built them in situ mm-hmm. over the road yeah. at the time, which is just that's absurd. Right. No, well, you, know, on you Kingston, just bring them in on Kingston. Yeah, the gantries went in first. They'd been designed by Scott Wilson for use elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by Holford and Partners, because it was the architectural input, obviously. Uh, but they were first erected on the Kingston Bridge. So the five gantries there were the first of yeah. any sign gantries in Glasgow, of the Glasgow type. Those backlit, illuminated signs. I didn't know that. And so we will be it. sharing some wonderful new photos that show some of those gantries in all their wonder. Wonderful. So stay tuned for that. Oh, and anyone who purchased a calendar for 2020 if you haven't already flip over to june yeah and if you, you see, see your june image it's a stunning image yeah i'm just reaching over to the calendar just now would yeah. you believe it we actually have a calendar here in the office well, I, I would hope so <laughs> so no, it really a is stunning a stunning image, image. and it's it, if this was taken um is the road that was I, on opening day it is because mm-hmm. uh it looks rather quiet yeah it was taken literally two hours or so before the uh the opening mm. ceremony yeah. with Ring Road written on the gantry yeah. 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 so look out for that image it is pretty stunning uh, other innovations well uh, the gantries were future proofed to allow for the connection to the future city traffic control system which came in 1980 Citrac mm-hmm. so there was an allowance made for that but also did you know another did you know that the bridge was provided and its approach ramps and slip roads and all the rest of it were provided with under road heating I have heard about this and I think I heard it in a video. Yeah, you would have done it. Would have been in that construction film. I think so, Stuart. We we've been uh, we've been quizzed about this before. These questions have come up. I don't ever remember these being used, or uh, maybe they were used, but they certainly aren't used now. But is it not? It's not on the bridge deck itself, is no, it? No, it was on the approach, uh, the main approaches. So anywhere where there was a bit of a gradient, and it was felt that you know if there was ever going to be ice or snow, we just flick the switch. And the road is kept ice-free. Now, it wasn't only used at Kingston. It was used at Townhead. It was used at parts of Woodside. It was used on the M74 at Hamilton. Um, no doubt it was used on other roads and motorways in Scotland at the time as well. It was a great idea, but the technology wasn't just quite there for it. No, I think the yeah. whole thing just burnt itself it did. out. And it, you couldn't replace anything. And yeah, that was it, it burned itself out very quickly. And the sad thing is that the use of salt to, to de-ice the road going forward after that actually contributed to some of the problems that we're going to talk about in part two so if that system had worked from day one some of that issue you, you know, shouldn't some be of putting salt on, a, on on major structures like that anyway you would use oh, a you, de-icing chemical yeah we know that now john right you know. this is 1970 right you know, we okay. don't we don't have these things right so they <laughs> thought yeah let's you know having a nice heated system well, is the easiest way to deal with it and they're right and you know the there was a cylindrical building just to the north of Anderston Station, uh, that was only demolished maybe about possibly about ten years ago now. That was the the uh, the sort of main circuit for the underroad heating system. Oh right, it had only okay. been demolished a few years ago. So, yeah. it was something that so there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that wasn't entirely successful, which was a which was a real shame. Okay. Any more questions for me about construction or planning at that stage before we go on and discuss the opening event? Um, to be honest with you, um, no. I mean, I've, I've asked you everything, everything just there. To mm-hmm. be honest with you, the other, I, I do have some other questions, but they're, they're probably better uh, following some more things right. that you say. Okay, um, so we'll talk about the opening day then. 
Okay, so the bridge is finished. The bridge is the finished. The approaches are finished. All finished slightly ahead of schedule, not massively yeah. ahead of schedule. All on budget. I should have said the whole project cost about eleven million pounds, mm-hmm. uh, which is equivalent to about two hundred million today. Now that was double what any of the other ring road contracts cost. So it was the most expensive ring road of project course. by quite a way. Of course, as you can you appreciate, mm. um, you know it was quite big, um, in scale. Uh, the there was a lot of clearance and stuff at that as well and service diversions so the 11 million covered all of that and it was 75 percent funded by the scottish development department and 25 percent funded by glasgow corporation as most projects were at that time okay, okay. so the kingston bridge was a huge thing for glasgow and a huge huge project for the corporation mm-hmm. so they were determined that it was going to get a big opening because this was the future this was the city reaching forward mm. from this- the decline and from the, the squalor of the past, as they saw it, reaching mm-hmm. forward towards the 21st century with this mm-hmm. wonderful brand new infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, they wanted a high-profile opening. It's like the Kingston Bridge was the poster boy of the whole, yes. of the whole Indeed, reinvigorated was. Glasgow. Yep, and for yeah. that reason, they lined up uh, the Queen Mother okay. to open the bridge. And uh, it was opened formally on Friday, the 26th of June, 1970. Uh, thousands of people turned out. Um, there, there were invited guests. I believe the the young chap who cut the ribbon um, alongside the Queen Mother was actually the youngest apprentice who was working on the bridge at that time. Oh, that's terrific. Yep, there were a number of other dignitaries uh, present as well, including the, the Lord Provost, um, mm. who at that time, I believe, I will just tell you, I've got my notes here, the Lord Provost at that time was Donald Liddell. Okay. Um, and the... the Chair of the Highways Committee was Councillor William Hunter. They were both present as well. Okay. Were, uh, you, were you present? No, sure. John. Funnily enough, no. I was not present for that. <laughs> I've been waiting um, to... <laughs> yes. Can't help himself. Sorry. Can't help himself. Anyway, please continue. The <laughs> ceremony. Yep. So it was a very popular event. It got coverage all over the country. Um, it was big UK news. Um, there was international interest in it as well. And uh, it was a great success. And, and as we mentioned a couple of times going through, they commissioned a, a film to chart the uh, the construction of the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, that film, which is known as Highway Over the Clyde, uh, is held by the National Library of Scotland Moving Image section. So if you go onto their website, I believe, believe you may be able to view it. If you can't view it online, you certainly can at the Kelvin Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be worth when the Kelvin Hall reopens going along to watch that because it's a, a great half an hour film gives you a great overview of the planning and the construction of the of the bridge and it shows some footage from the opening ceremony as well mm. uh, so the bridge opened and it was immediately used by thousands of vehicles only a few thousands for the first while because at that point you could only go from south of the river to north of the river because the that's Charing right, Cross section it didn't connect in with, with much right. did it it didn't Charing Cross section didn't come along until 1972 uh, Woodside and Townhead were there beforehand, but you obviously needed that crucial section to allow you to make the connection. So by 1980, I think we were seeing flows of something like 77,000 vehicles a day. Mm-hmm. Now, the one of the main reasons for building the bridge was to get traffic away from the city centre. And on opening, uh, traffic flows on the city centre bridges, the existing bridges, was reduced by something like 75 or 80%. Well, so people, people were using it then, even though they had to go away from the surface streets to go onto the motorway, yeah. technically, and then over and then they're dumped off again. That's right. Yeah, absolutely right. Mm. So it was a it was a, a huge success story. It was a, a stunning piece of 
infrastructure. Uh, it was very well regarded. Um, the corporation were very proud of it. Uh, as I said to you, we've got booklets that show that people came from far and wide to look at it, to see it. Not only Kingston, but also Erskinebridge and some of the others in the area. It was very well regarded. All part of this uh, stunning plan for new highways and transportation projects that was going to lead us forward towards 1990 and the new millennium. Which, mm. as we've discussed on many occasions, ultimately didn't happen, but he didn't know that at that time. So they were, mm. they were celebrating that very much. Another fact... Because people will ask, Anderston Footbridge. Now this is the original bridge to nowhere. So this, yeah, okay. So this is the one where, yeah, it, it didn't really, it didn't go anywhere yeah. at either end, and it was just so as you were heading um, east of the Kingston or, or, right. or about to approach so, it, you've seen it. As was common with all of the the ring road projects, pedestrian walkways and and routes to connect the various parts of the city centre were a key part of it. You know, they didn't just ignore pedestrians or cyclists or or whoever and uh, they decided that they would build two footbridges one that crossed um the Clydeside expressway as it was going to be uh, just east uh, west of Argyll street and one that crossed the north approach of the the main the main bridge that would link in with the new anderson center complex yeah now the corporation decided um that they were only going to build the section or pay for the section above the motorway itself and the two the two links now i say two links because people might not be aware that the the bridge over the clayside expressway was supposed to link to so that bridge one, at yeah, anderson and you can see this yep. when you're there because there's a stub that's right on either side where they're meant to go yeah and then the final section from the edge of the motorway over to bovel street bovel street waterloo street waterloo street um that bit these bits didn't get built and it's a very similar story to what happened with the charing cross podium and that the engineers said, listen, just finish it all at once. There's no point leaving sections because things might change, things might not happen, private developers might not come in and finish it off. And the corporation said, no, 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 we're not yeah. going to pay a bit for this. It's all going to happen, it'll all be fine. And within a couple of years of the bridge opening, the Anderson Centre plans had been revised. And uh, they, they didn't, they weren't compatible, really. Exactly. So that section of the bridge didn't go ahead. And it was 2012 before it was finished when there was some SUSTRANS funding. Uh, was able to come through and Glasgow City Council were finally able to complete that in collaboration with Transport they, Scotland. They did and it was fantastic. It's and a great bridge. It's a fantastic link. It's so useful for people yeah. to get across. But why doesn't it? Why didn't they do the, the link to the Clydeside Expressway Bridge? Well, I guess by this stage it was felt that that section wasn't entirely necessary. And let's be honest, it, it's only adding, what, maybe 30 seconds to the overall yeah, journey but time. it'd be cool. It would be, you're right, to be able to walk right across. Mm. It's um, like, a, like a, a footway in the sky. Yeah. So it was all fully refurbished as part of that project to complete it, as was the one that crosses um, the Clyside Expressway as well. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're two very uh, important pedestrian links. And of course, at that time, none of the, the hotels and things that are there now uh, were there. There was big empty pockets of land, so the Marriott Hotel wasn't there, the Hilton Hotel wasn't there. You know, so there was a lot of undeveloped land. Hmm. Which, as I said at the start, the comprehensive development area was huge. It was massive, you know, the amount of work that had to be done there. Another, did you know, a building that's already, that came after the bridge and has been gone already, was the Dealer Record building that sat just to the uh, the west of the bridge. That's an iconic building, you know, because when you come to the north bridge, side. At the, the north side, yeah. yeah. Oh, and that's still vacant. Yeah. Is there yep. a huge site there mm -hmm. now with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so it must be about what? 20 years or so since the record moved out of there. I think mm -hmm. they were only in there for 30 years or something. And that was a, a, that was a building that you could see from, you know, from the bridge and mm -hmm. all around. Uh, I remember that the, the deal record letters always lit up red at yeah. night when you were crossing. 
Um, the other thing that I miss about the bridge uh, is the, the navigation lights for the river. I remember when they were still active mm-hmm. and you had the green and the, the red lights, you know, for yeah, shipping I gonna, traffic. I was yeah. going to ask about this. Yeah. Um, there was feature lighting under the bridge. Well, feature lighting, yeah. Initially, when the bridge opened, there was flood lighting. Um, was so, it not colour dependent? There was some. No, there was some weird thing where it would change colour depending on the flows. That's a modern thing that we're going to discuss in part two. Initially, right. the bridge was flood lit with traditional lighting, like so the like, fourth rail bridge. Yeah, like <clears throat> the fourth bridge. Oh yeah, the fourth bridge. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Don't want to upset any railway enthusiasts. No, exactly. Or yeah. um, like what they do with rock cuts. You know, exactly. Just a feature, feature yeah. So it had that type of feature lighting initially. Again, because they, they wanted to show it off. Mm-hmm. And we actually do have an image of the bridge floodlit with its original lighting. Mm-hmm. And we will be sharing that during the events as well. Yeah. So that wraps up the main topics of the first part that I was looking to, yeah. to consider. Questions wise, yeah. do you have anything else that you want to ask me before I ask you a couple? Yeah, I've I've got one. Okay. It's uh it's probably easily answered. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kingston Bridge, it's a big thing. We've established that we've spoken about it. Yeah. Why is it never mentioned on road signs the same way the Erskine or Fourth Road bridges? I suppose in the sense that it's not a primary destination. You know, and I know that doesn't quite sound sound right because Erskine Bridge and Fourth Road Bridge aren't primary destinations either, but they're main bridgeheads. Yes. Historically, they had been main bridgeheads because to the travel north, were the ferries were there. Like yep. So it made sense to include them on maps because that was like a main route north. Kingston's different. It's in the middle of a motorway, a it's continuous an route. Yeah, yeah, it's in an urban setting. So you wouldn't you wouldn't sign it. I mean, they signed it Ring Road initially, but Kingston mm. Bridge as a thing was never going to have to be signed, um, yeah. because by the well, time you realised you were at it, you were over it. You know. The funny thing was, before I moved to Glasgow, I knew what the Fourth Road Bridge was. Obviously, mm-hmm. I knew what the Erskine Bridge was never heard of the Kingston Bridge. You'd never heard of the Kingston Bridge? I'd never Bridge. heard of the Kingston Bridge. I knew that the M8 obviously crossed the river, but yeah. to me that was like any other network structure. For goodness but then, sake. Then, of course, as I started learning more about this and I stayed down here and I heard people mention Kingston Bridge because people know what it is. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, you mean where the M8 crosses the Clyde? Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. the Kingston Bridge. It's iconic, most Glaswegians and those yeah. from but, uh, but I'm not a Glaswegian, so that's that's no, how I, I came to learn it. Like, we'll try not see, to I seen I seen the light. Though. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. All okay. right. Okay. So a question for you then. All right. What's your favourite part or feature of the Kingston Bridge and its approaches in its main complex? Thanks for that, Stuart. Uh, can I use a lifeline here? Uh, m- maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know um, the, my favourite feature of it? It's, I'm really sorry, but it's it's going to sound a little bit boring, to be honest with you. Um, People know you well enough by now. I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> I do like, and we, you mentioned this earlier about the, about the amount of lanes that it has. Yeah, there is a, there is a slight um, with the, with the ten lanes, so the five lanes on either side. And I appreciate an eastbound mm-hmm. that's got or, or northbound. Yeah, um, it's got the lane one and lane two segregated off yeah. on it. But it it's really the width, the way that they built it for this future capacity. Yeah, uh, on it because there are far too many bridges, you know, that struggle with this. But yeah. Kingston Bridge, you know, is built to, and I know it has struggled over the years yeah, with its I, capacity. Again, but something- I love the fact that it's so. Aud- you know the the sheer audacity yeah, of, of it. it. Uh, you know is what I really like. You and know, so that's one of my favorite. We're features. going to mention in part two is right. that 
yeah, people say the bridge is congested, the bridge is congested. Yeah, but it's not the bridge that's causing the congestion. It's pinch points on either side of it. Yeah. You know, there the bridge are itself, pinch points because the rest of the inner ring road was not built. Yeah, that's right. You know, the bridge mm. itself isn't the problem. But yes. we'll talk about that in part two. Yes. That's going to come up part two. Uh, my favourite feature. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was just going to bounce that straight the, back to you. So yeah. my, mine's the, the, the width of it. I like the Stob Cross on-ramp. So that's the one that comes from the eastbound oh. Clydeside Expressway yeah. and sweeps up and over and then heads onto the, the westbound or southbound carriageway. And when you reach that midpoint oh, and you're at the so maximum high. height, oh. you're looking right across the bridge, right across the river, all the way to the south of Glasgow. You can see into the city centre. You've got the nice tall buildings to the left, be it the hotels or the yeah. flats or whatever. I'd love to get a photo from up there. Yeah. You know that. It's one of these places. But I know exactly. And I was privileged enough, Stuart, when I worked in Sky Park. Yeah. I could, uh, I used that every day. Yeah. And it, yeah. Was, it was lovely. But you've cheated with that because it's technically not Kingston Bridge. It's Kingston Bridge Approaches. Yeah, but we this whole program, <laughs> program's about the Kingston Bridge and its approaches. So I think that's no, all that's, right. That's fine. Fair right. enough. You know? Okay. Right, so that sums up everything we're going to talk about in part one. Okay. Part two will follow very shortly. Um, to give you some idea of what we're going to be doing to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the bridge, when we sat down last year and started talking about what we were going to do, we had huge plans. Unfortunately, events this year yeah. have overtaken us and most of what we had planned has been scaled back. And we had been working with a number of third parties to mm -hmm. devise a whole programme of events, which were going to be, in my opinion, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm hopeful that some of them might come back when the situation allows, but for the moment... But at the moment and for the foreseeable future, yeah. like all of our plans, and personal or otherwise, for this year, have so been on put hold. on hold. Exactly. So what we decided to do was to focus on the online aspect, things that people could access from their home easily yeah. without the need to have to go anywhere. And this is really exciting. That's right. So we've got, obviously, the two-part podcast... Yep. which is a big thing for us. We have a brand new web article covering the Kingston Bridge and its approaches, a bit of a celebration for the 50th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And I might just give away that that might be in the new style of the new website. But shh, don't tell Ooh. anyone. Right. Someone's been a busy boy doing yeah. lockdown, eh? Yeah, it <laughs> might, might just be just that new. And you know what? You know what else? Mm. It might even be mobile friendly. Surely not, Stuart. No, you, you hey, know. what is this crazy talk? I know. Back, back to reality I know. here. I know. You know? So <laughs> stay tuned for that. Okay. Um, that's coming. And finally, and I think the best part of the whole thing. You're going to bake a cake for Kingston. Yeah, well, yeah, there's that. Stuart can't bake, no. by the way. So, yeah. We are producing a commemorative booklet. That's right. To celebrate the 50th yep. anniversary of Kingston Bridge. Now, this booklet is stunning. It's mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful. You're all going to love it. Just like these lovely, glossy opening booklets yes. that you get for when the roads open, yep. the Glasgow Motorway Archive... Is producing its own one. We have taken inspiration from some of those fantastic booklets that were produced down through the years mm -hmm. and uh, we decided to produce our own. Now, because of the current situation, printed copies are not going to be available immediately. But rather than hold it back, we've decided that we'll make digital copies available through the website mm -hmm. uh, from the anniversary date. So you'll be able to download a copy on there. 
And remind us one more time, Stuart, what is that anniversary? That day? is going to be on Friday, the 26th of June. Yep. This year, 2020. Uh, which, funnily enough, that was also Friday, the year it opened as well. How apt. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's worked out rather well. So this booklet, you're going to love the booklet. Everybody's going to love the booklet. It's, you know how you've seen some of the opening booklets and they've got that retro-y theme to it. It's months of work. It's, months It's and very months good and you're, you're going to like it. Yeah. yeah. And when the printed copies become available, uh, we'll let you know where. And we should say many thanks to Transport Scotland, who we've been working in collaboration with yeah. on the production of this booklet. Um, we will be working with Transport Scotland on a number of uh, media-related activities uh, to do with, to the, the 50th to do with anniversary yeah. uh, so watch out for those look out in some of the press and mm-hmm. in other um, places and you'll see some exciting things yeah stay tuned so stay tuned yeah so it all kicks off um, depending on when you're listening to this podcast uh, this podcast will mark the start of our celebrations that will conclude over the, mm. the 10 day period uh, or come in the, the anniversary day itself yeah that's it. So get the bunting out. Get the bunting out. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I hope you're all looking forward to part two, which will be equally as informative and yep. probably reveal a few things that, about the bridge that maybe people didn't know. This um, is what, yeah. There was a lot of media frenzy about the bridge in the nineties. Yeah. And I about do think yeah, a lot of a lot of memories in people's minds probably skewed by that. So it might be good to bring some facts as we often do. Yeah. You know, open up the subject to that's great to some facts and figures and people mm. might actually go all right okay so oh yeah that was to- totally overcooked in the press mm. never true. but you know yeah so i think it'll be worth it so yeah come back to us for that and in the meantime as we always say uh thank you for listening to the glasgow motorway archive yeah, podcast thank you uh, you will get all our podcasts on apple spotify and podbean leave us a review as you always do as some some of you do we've seen some lovely reviews actually on apple so please please do that if you haven't already thank you for them there's also the social media channels yeah twitter facebook instagram yeah go on them for the daily fix i've had the pleasure of uh, putting out social media for the last couple of weeks i hope you have enjoyed it indeed and we'll be back with you very shortly with part two so for now thank you for listening thank you and goodbye